Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. This is Everyone's Talking Money. I'm your host, Shauna Game, and welcome to day eight of 12 days of holiday episodes. In this episode, we're talking about negotiation, probably a word that (laughs) it might bring a little stress. It might make your palms sweat a little bit, but our guest, Maury, is, gosh, she's sharing all of her tips to help you negotiate any situation fearlessly. What a great episode to get you all prepped for the new year. So I hope you enjoy listening to this once again. Let's start talking. It's the fact that we do start negotiating at such an early age that we are actually incredibly experienced. And our experience is quite transferable. So if you think about what makes you successful at an early age, like we talked about, all through your life, those skills are actually transferable and they attribute to being a great negotiator. So I want people to know that this is sort of like the soundtrack of our lives. You negotiate all the time. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. My mom tells me that I used to not have breakfast unless I had Coke. So I could just imagine what she's like, do I do this or is she going to be just hungry forever, right? I can't I can't send her to school hungry. So as a kid, Maury to Harry Poor had to have a soda before breakfast. And when I was little, I had to have scrambled eggs for breakfast. That was like a complete non-negotiable for me. So the crazy truth is that you have actually been negotiating since birth in all sorts of ways, but you probably haven't even realized it. And that's because, as Maury says, like we tend to remember the big, bad, and ugly negotiation scenarios, like 
dealing with, you know, a, a car salesperson or asking for a raise at work and just getting, you know, big fat out denied. So if you negotiate everything all the time, don't you think it makes sense to actually know how to do it well? Maury is a globally recognized negotiation expert and an award-winning faculty member at the Wharton School and has written this absolutely masterclass of a book called Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. So we're going to do a whole deep dive into how can you actually negotiate fearlessly, her four principles of negotiation success, and why she says you need to get some aspirational goals and stop playing safe here. I'm Shauna, this is Everyone's Talking Money, and I'm ready, if you're ready, to start talking all about this thing called negotiation. Before we hit record, I told you this, and I was going to restate it again, I just devoured your book this weekend, and I feel like, I mean, I say this of so many different authors that are on the show, but this is definitely one of those books that I feel like should forever be on someone's bookshelf, because it's just, um, you know, I think negotiation is something that we overlook a lot. Like we think about it in terms of like used car, you know, salespeople. Mm -hmm. And we think about, you know, maybe negotiating uh, for our raise or something like that at work. But there's so many more places. I mean, it's just infinite if we, you know, we dive into it of where negotiation really, uh, you know, shows up for us. And I, I, I've got a lot of things I want to talk about and I want to dive into them. But, you know, first I want to zero in on this word, fearlessly. So, you know, what is it on the flip side of that? What is it about negotiation that gets us so fearful of it? I think, first of all, thank you for saying you devoured my book. I think everybody, every author wants to hear devour. That's a, that's the best thing in the world. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Um, You know, what makes us fearful? I think bad experiences, to be honest with you. I think that and that's probably first and foremost the the reason because you know people have the bad experience with the used car salesman or the when they ask for a raise and they were not granted a raise or they've had a terrible divorce or you know I could go on and on and on and the bad experiences sort of leave these scars that we don't get over right, right. and so one on top of the other and worse yet we always think that the reason why they went so poorly was because we weren't good negotiators, right? So not only that's the memory, but the self-blame or the guilt or even the shame associated with not being able to, you know, be able to negotiate these really difficult deals that you had um, makes people very fearful to the point where they avoid it um, at all costs. So let's talk about sort of the opposite side of that. Let's lean into this word fearlessly you know, paint a little picture for us. What would it look like to negotiate fearlessly? I think it's not to say that you're not at all anxious, right? Um, because I think some level of that is really good because I think it'll make you prepare better, right? That that you don't take the conversation for granted, um, that you can show up at your best, you can show up being informed and ready to deliver that information in a way that can be received effectively. Um, but what I sort of needed to put sort of fearlessly in the title is because of what how we started talking about this is because I want people to know that when you are don't have that courage, when you don't lean heavily into the opportunity, and not just again, um, you know, like bull in a china shop, but well prepared and really considering your own wants and needs, right? That sort of self, deep, deep, deep self reflection that's required. Then, you know, and you sort of count yourself out, then you will always be left wondering. You will regret not having had it. And in my experience, I think I've always regretted things that. I haven't done or the missed opportunities more than having done th- certain things. And I'm like, Oh God, that was stupid. Or, or I wish I hadn't done it, but because I, I fulfilled that promise to myself, I did it. And okay. So it didn't turn out well. And I learned a lot from it. So I wanted, I very intentionally put fearlessly in that title and use it throughout the book because it's not to say, again, we're not, we don't have a little bit of that anxiety, especially around money matters, by the way. But you have to do away with that, right? You have to find the courage to speak your voice. You have to have the courage to 
find your seat at that table. You have to have the courage to to know and understand wholly your own truth and your own values and sort of move forward accordingly. Um, and so, you know, there are more things, especially around gender issues, to be honest with you, a lot of the, the studies that are done talk about sort of the lack of confidence in women sometimes doesn't even allow them to understand that there is something to be negotiated. They miss the moment because they didn't even recognize it as a moment. Um, not to mention, then we start thinking about the social costs of negotiating. So again, all of these things that lead to fear and what does fear do? Fear makes us think about scarcity. Fear, fear makes us close, close in. And unfortunately, sort of we negotiate ourselves out of what could be a great deal, a great opportunity. Well, you've taught negotiation classes to, I think, somewhere around 5,000 students. And I wish I was one of the students in your class <laughs> after reading your book, because you go through these, like, some of these really cool kind of, you know, interactive experiences. I want to talk about a few of those. But, you know, I teach about relationship to money. And, you know, I think the relationship with money has a real direct correlation to the steps you take to the patterns you create and, you know, ultimately to whatever you define as success. And I think a lot of people overlook the, um, the piece of your relationship with money, just like yeah. I feel like a lot of people overlook negotiation and kind of its role in just everyday life. And I think, you know, negotiation like to your yourself first and foremost was something I really got out of the book was, wow, I negotiate with myself all day long. Like, what I want to do, what I not want to do, what is the cost of what I'm doing and not doing. And I, I just never really thought about it that way. And then of course we have, you know, negotiation in the world and all kinds of different situations, but, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, what relationship do you see negotiation and, you know, our money having? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. As you know, the, um, sort of my, one of my four tenants is this notion of you must understand your own self-worth. And I think money is more of that, the tangible side of that, if that makes any sense, because, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, I just stopped there. I don't even care how much that costs. Like, it's fine. Or, yeah, I didn't bother asking for my money back because, you know, they probably needed it more than I did. And, you know, all of those things may be true because I'm the last person who says negotiate everything, right? You have to understand sort of where you're what's worth your time, right? There's also an opportunity cost associated with that. But going back to knowing your worth and your value, it's not always about that that money. It's about having enough self-respect and valuing yourself enough that it allows other people to do the same. You're giving them the playbook, right? That your time is valuable, that your efforts are valuable. Um, one of the exercises that we do is, and I don't want to get obviously give it all away, but it's very poignant in the, in the way that what you realize at the very end is that people forego their own share of the outcome, right? Um, in the form of a bonus or a percentage, right? And they just get the deal done. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, I'm glad you got a deal, maybe, <laughs> but how much did you make out of this? They're like, nothing, because that was such a low percentage anyway. I'm like, that wasn't the point. You literally made everybody else put them in a better place than they were before the conversation started. And you walked away with nothing. No matter how small your dignity and your pride and your self-worth and, and your efforts were tied into that. That's why you sort of have to claim that. And, and it's not a matter of like, are you going to get rich off this deal? No, it's just a matter of saying, I did, I contributed to the success of this conversation, right? So I think in that way, it's really, really important to have that sort of relationship with money. And I actually think it comes from better understanding your, yourself, right? Pleasers fall in this category a lot. Um, <laughs> um, I am a self-admitted pleaser. <laughs> Shana, everybody is a pleaser. After, after all the reviews that I get from this book, everybody's favorite chapter is the one on pleasers. Everybody's a pleaser is what I've come to realize. Um, but you know, pleasers are really tied into this conversation, right? That you forego your own happiness for the sake of somebody else's, right? You forego money for the sake of making somebody else better off. But do you really? Is that why you're doing it? Or is it because money conversations are hard and you don't want to have conflict? 
do you not want to have those difficult, crucial conversations, right? So there's so many different things that go into the psychology of this that I think that's why when I say you have to know yourself before you even attempt to learn the strategy and the tactics and all that, because it is the hurt, the pain, the the fear, the anxiety that actually dictates the conversations that you have with other people because it starts with the conversations you've had with yourself. I know it's it's hard for me even being a money person and knowing a lot of this. I was just recently in a negotiation um, about a business opportunity. And I really have to just stop myself from mm-hmm. just saying, oh, I'll just, I'll take whatever because, right. you know, I'm, I'm so gr- grateful that you're presenting it to me. And then, you know, I kick myself in a moment. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, stop, stop, don't do that. And it's like, why do I do that? And, you know, you could go down the whole train wreck of, you know, people pleaser, childhood, being a female. Right. I mean, you just could go on and on, but I think, you know, how many times throughout our day do we uh, count ourselves out just automatically without the, mm-hmm. without even a thought pattern of, you know, what is actually going on? Right. And, you know, you said something really interesting. That word grateful, I think, gets us in trouble. Um, look, I, I like to live my everyday in, in gratitude, right? And, and I think that doing that elevates my mood. It makes me feel like I'm living a fuller life and, you know, on and on psychologically, it's sort of the, the right side of sort of optimism and and all that. But when I feel like people say I'm grateful, oh, I'm just grateful to have this job, or I'm grateful that they decided to give me a raise, or I'm grateful that they're willing to pay that much for me to do the speaking engagement. In that sense, I feel like what you're saying is that you're attributing that reward to their desire to pay you or to give to you, as opposed to your having earned that opportunity, right? Your hard work, your blood and sweat and tears, your efforts, your smarts, your tenacity, that's, this is what they're doing is a reward for that, right? Be grateful about who you are. Be grateful that you had all those, accomplished all those things because they're not just, this isn't philanthropy. They're not just trying to be nice. How many, how many clients do you have that are like, you're not asking for enough, Shauna. Let me give you a little bit more money, right? right? That, that (laughs) rarely happens, right? So they're going to give you what you ask for. And you, in this sense, maybe the fact that you've asked for, even if they think, oh, that's a lot of money. The fact that you can stand in that with pride and again, going back to fearlessness and knowing what you're worth is what encourages other people to do that. So the gratitude, I feel like when people say grateful, I'm like, check yourself on that because you should be grateful for who you are, right? That you made this happen. You were the architect of this. And I, I think we forget that, honestly. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about these four principles to negotiation. So we just talked about the the one knowing our worth and valuing our worth. Um, you know, one of the other ones is negotiation is first and foremost about human connection. So, you know, what do we need to know about the human to human connection when we negotiate? Because I think it's really easy to forget there's another human on the other side. Yeah. It's funny because as you're asking me these questions, I'm like, oh my God, this is so, what you do and what I do are so interconnected, right? Because when we, particularly if there's some contract or something that's, that's money related, that's to be negotiated, it immediately puts us in a state of sort of transactional um, thinking, right? This is, this is what I want. This is what they're going to want. This is, okay, this is a deal. And that's a very, you know, money's very black and white. There aren't a whole lot of shades of gray, right? So when you sort of limit it to that, you do almost forget there's somebody else sitting across from you, right? Because oftentimes you're going in so focused on that outcome that you don't leave any room for the intangibles and the nuances and the relationship, right? So I always tell people, get to the point, again, when you're not fearing this conversation because it's giving you the opportunity to actually know, get to know somebody. It's giving you the opportunity to educate them, tell them about who you are. So let's say you are a business that charges more than your competitors. Educate them before you even make that opening offer so that they understand your worth, your value, and why you're going to be charging that, right? So the human connection comes in this notion of the information, 
gathering and exchange, the trust that is developed once you're that sort of transparent and open and willing to actually speak. A lot of people are like, I'm not going to say, I've been told not to say too much in negotiations. I'm like, not a silent auction, right? This is negotiation. (laughs) So, you know, that that ability to see this as an enjoyable, dare I say enjoyable um, process, and for you to really focus on process as opposed to what you think is supposed to be the the goal, the end result. Now you sit back and you're like, this is a whole human being. Oh my God, we have so many, so many things in common, right? Oh, I Googled you and, and I realized that we graduated, you know, from the same university or our kids go to the same high school, you know, and now that affiliation, now that human connection provides you the shades of gray, the nuances that I think are so beautiful that we need to not make this all about just a transaction. Um, and, and that's why sort of this human connections thing is so important, especially in, in sort of financial decisions. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? 
or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical. If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. Uh, you know, when I was a working financial planner, um, I started way back with my dad who'd been in the business for, for you know, eons and eons. And I remember the first meeting we were going into with somebody who had like $100 million in assets, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was like, mm, you know, and my dad's like, you're going to present everything. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, and he's like, look, here's the trick I want you to know first. When we walk in the room, I want you to quickly scan the room. Mm -hmm. I want you to look for something to talk to him about. It could be a picture of his family. It could be something on the wall. It could be a color in the room, just something to make like a human connection. And that's also going to help you feel a little less nervous and realize right. that, you know, it's okay. Like we're all humans in this room. And I, I still remember that tip today, like even if I'm in a Zoom meeting with someone, you know, it's it's trying to find that kind of human element that I think um, really just connects us all. Yeah, definitely a wise man. And particularly as a financial planner, right? You're, you are telling them that you can trust me with all this wealth, right? With, I'm a, I'm a sort of your partner in this process, right? Um, I'm a fiduciary in some ways, right? And so where do you need more trust than that, right? So to start that way is saying, you're important. I see you. I want to get to know you better and not go in and giving some blind sales pitch because then again, that human connection, that part where you're building trust and maybe allowing them to be open and vulnerable is not going to happen, right? Why should it? You don't you're going in just, and you're ready to just say, this is what we can do for you. This is all our services. Give us your money. Right. <laughs> that doesn't work real well <laughs> in any, in any scenario. No. Well, I want to talk about number, number three, you say that negotiation is something we do all the time and that it actually starts when we're toddlers. I found this really interesting. Okay. Tell me about like, how do we negotiate when we're, when we're little, little wee ones? Oh my God, everything. You want ice cream before dinner right? Um, my mom tells me that I used to not have breakfast unless I had Coke. <laughs> so I could just imagine when she's like, do I do this? Or is she going to be just hungry forever? Right? I can't, I can't send her to school hungry. And so, you know, how I actually got her to agree to that, I, you know, that's a, that's a winning negotiations. Cause if my kid was like, I don't have children, but if they were like, I'm not going to have breakfast unless I have Coke, I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess you're going to go to school. Right. And, and sort of hold my own. But, you know, they, they, first of all, they're so endearing. Right. So that sort of the likability, it's actually the lovability. Right. The fact that we want to, well, you know, the parents are truly during that age, especially, we are the pleasers, right? We actually want them to be happy because of all that we've gone through 
to to birth them and to ensure their happiness and their joy and their well-being, right? So in a lot of ways, parents are the pleasers. Um, those roles sort of get reversed, particularly as the kids are like, I actually have to make them want to do this. And it's no longer, um, the cuteness factor is not going to, you know, win this. The other thing is that I think children, and you know, this could be bedtime, this could be TV time, this could be, you know, how long they can, whether they can even get a phone, right? All, all of it, spending the night at a friend's, right? Um, and I think that what children are really interesting, I think why they are so, so great at negotiating, particularly when they're that, young, you know, early, early years, is that their sort of purity provides a sense of sort of the wide-eye interest and curiosity, right? And they have a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence as a result of that, right? It's as we age, it's as we grow up that we lose that emotional intelligence, we become more self, you know, sort of self, you know, we are our most important beneficiary in a lot of ways, right? And I don't want to say selfish because I'm trying to tell people it's not selfish to ask for more, but, but you know what I'm saying that we lose that sense of connection to people because we stop being curious. We stop that sense of wonderment, that sense of asking questions, you know, why is the sky blue? Why do you want to do this? When your kids, you're so hungry for that information that if every adult negotiator could be that curious and that emotionally intelligent, I think we'd all be even more successful, right? It's it's magical, actually. So not only are they negotiating all the time with us, but they're very successful at that very young age for all of those factors. And the fourth principle is anyone can be a good negotiator. But, you know, I'm thinking like so many of us and probably everyone listening, like we talk ourselves out of this. Mm-hmm. Why Why do we do this? Again, that goes back to the answer I gave earlier because we've had some bad deals, maybe, right? We don't have self confidence. And as a result of those, so the bad memories of this, then we're thinking, I'm not a good negotiator. And by the way, I'm comparing myself to what I see on TV. I'm comparing myself to those characters that are in your face, aggressive, somewhat contentious, you know, um, hard charging. And I'm not that person. So I must not be a good negotiator. The truth is, it's like negotiation, negotiators are like the rainbow. They come in all different sizes and, and colors and, and, and ability, right? Because you don't have to fit some mold. It's the fact that we do start negotiating at such an early age that we are actually incredibly experienced. And our experience is quite transferable. So if you think about what makes you successful at an early age, like we talked about, all through your life, those skills are actually transferable and they attribute to being a great negotiator. So I want people to know that this is sort of like the soundtrack of our lives. You negotiate all the time. And when I ask people in class, when's the last time you negotiated? I've had people say things like, it's been 10 years. I'm like, wait, what? Right? Like, because again, they are thinking of that one really bad transaction that it was so bad and so devastating that I choose not to do any of the negotiations in my company. And I'm like, you're a wholesome person. How about outside of your company? How about in your daily life? How about making decisions? Do you think about things? Do you make a pros and cons list? That's a negotiations. And when you tell people that, that sense of, oh, yeah, that is a negotiations. And I've made actually some really great decisions, maybe some bad ones, but I do have all this experience. I do it with my wife all the time. I do it with my kids all the time. Oh yeah. I, I didn't even, I didn't even know. I didn't even imagine that to be a negotiations. It, the most incredible thing happens. It's like they all of a sudden sit up a little bit more with confidence, right? They, they start understanding that they are skilled and not lacking, right? They understand that their better self can be the best negotiator. The better, more prepared self can be the best negotiator, not emulating some character that you see in the movies that you are nothing like and you will never be like, right? So I think that's really important. It's sort of where it all starts is to recognize that because if you start, if I start my teaching at that place of confidence, then the rest of the conversation is easier because it's, there's less fear, there's less anxiety, there's more experience. Um, I think that's sort of the the ground level where it all starts. And these are the the stories we tell ourselves, right? So, Absolutely. you know, how do we like how do we practically 
quiet that story enough so that we can get ourselves to that place of even just like giving negotiation a try. Yeah, I love that you said how do you quiet it enough because I I hate to break this to everybody, but I don't think those stories necessarily just disappear. I think that's, you know, there's no like magic pill, right, to take for Darn. to sort of beat imposter syndrome. I know that may have, I would be very rich. Um, so I feel like whether it's culturally or gender related or race related, whatever it is, right, that voice is sort of right there, right? So it becomes important that you are very intentional about this thing this like gremlin showing up, right? Because the minute you know that it's crawling out and it tries to take the space, take up all the space, you have to create a routine for yourself, right? That, that addresses this and sort of cuts it off before it even starts. Because I find that when those stories start, particularly when it, it starts with a fear, it may start this this big. And then all of a sudden it's this huge snowball, right? And it's running over you because all we need, especially again, I'm somebody that struggles with this is give it some space, give it some airtime. And the next thing I know, I've had every way imaginable that I see this going is something horrible. Oh yeah. Train wreck. A train wreck, right? (laughs) Like the worst Friday, the 13th, like it, it is the worst thing, right? And my routine is this. I'm like, okay, first of all, if I've let it go that far, I'll talk about not letting it go that far, but if let it go that far. I literally have to ground myself and say, hold on a minute. What is the light before you go to sort of, you know, automatic, you know, oh my God, the world is coming to an end. How likely is it that this is actually going to happen? How likely is it that you're going to go on stage and say something ridiculous and stupid and how likely is that, Maury? Don't you have experience? Don't you know your stuff better than maybe anybody else in that audience? People are coming to hear your wisdom. Like, So I go through that because otherwise I'm like frozen in fear. I can't let that happen to myself. You don't want it to go that far. So way before that, I quickly acknowledge when this is happening, when, like I said, you, the light starts flickering. And I think, all right, I have to very quickly have this conversation with myself that says, these are the things I've accomplished. This is why I was meant to be doing this. This is how much experience I have. And build up sort of this sense of pride built on actual data and information, right? You have accomplished those things. You are that person, right? And you have to know what's happening to be able to quiet it down. You have to almost become more present. You have to become you know, less distracted by those thoughts. You have to ground yourself, be where your feet are, and start imagining the outcomes in a very different and probably most realistic way, as opposed to these, to your point, the car crashes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, 
Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. You, as I mentioned, you in the book, you have all of these great examples and scenarios, and I don't want to spoil them all, but I want to, I want to talk about one that really stood out for me. Uh, you talk about this idea of aspirational goals versus playing it safe. And I think that can directly correlate to money. And you run your students through these like mock negotiations. And this one was, they were, I think, selling a condo Mm -hmm. and there was some sort of like special assessment that, that needed to be in the condo. So in the mock negotiation, this student just said that they were just willing to settle for less because, you know, they knew something had to be done to the condo and, you know, there's a whole scenario around it. And maybe you can elaborate a little bit more for us, but, you know, Talk to us a little bit about this idea of the aspirational goals versus how we just, you know, stay in this sort of safe, comfy place. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just in negotiations, but in sort of positive psychology and athletic performance in a variety of areas, right? That we are told about sort of the power of our mindset. And our for those people who think from a place of abundance, the, those people who are fearless, right. And their in their thoughts about out their goals, right. And, and think not about how they are limited, but think about sort of the extent of the possibilities, right. And the bigger, the better, and the more aspirational, the better, then your outcomes are going to be reflective of those goals, right. And so the opposite is true. If you don't do those things, if you think about limitations, if you come from a place of fear and anxiety, then the outcomes are going to be limited to that, which will naturally make them not, a, not make you not as successful in what you've accomplished as the other person who is aspirational and, and thinking with great optimism and hope, right? And if you can't imagine those things for yourself, right? If you can't, again, know your self-worth, know know the value that you're bringing to this conversation, then you're likely, if you can't imagine it, you're not even going to ask for it, right? You're not even going to speak it. And if you don't speak it, then how is somebody going to give it to you, right? And that's such a like very rational equation there, right? And again, earlier we, I said, nobody's just going to hand you the money. You've got to actually ask for these things. So the storytelling is incredibly important because that's what allows you to sort of change your mindset. That's what allows you to think from a place of abundance and not scarcity, which I'm sure you deal with all the time, right? And in that particular example, you know, the stories aren't just the ones that that, that are of our, our own experience or our own ability, but when you have something to sell, when you have a house to sell or a car to sell, when you aren't somebody that can imagine abundance, when you are somebody that only sees limitations, then what you're going to see is the limits in that vehicle or the house, right? You're not going to think about this house being incredibly well-located, right? And, or all the money that you've put into the the home itself, right? The The way that you've, you know, built out the closets and the the gardening that you've done, this magnificent landscape that you have. Um, and what I said about location is like, you can actually sell a house more successfully when you can, especially if a family is buying it. If you talk about the schools in that, in that area, if you talk about the safety, if you talk about all of those things, the commute sense of community, but immediately we go to, you know, the water pressure is really bad in the house though. Right. right. Or they're just not, it's kind of an old house, so there's not enough wiring for cable. Like the most 
ridiculous of things that pop in your head for not that they're not true, but those things come to mind. Like, why are you thinking about water pressure right now? Here's this home that's like amazing. And so that student of mine failed to actually see the upside, couldn't see the positive values. And instead, because it was more consistent with the way he thought about himself and the the self-talk, he went to the negative things. Because when you do that, you relieve yourself of the pressure to ask for you for more. Ooh. You become more comfortable, right? You, it's sort of like, it's no longer, because for those people that have a really hard time imagining better, literally when there's, there's a compliment that's given, when there are positive things that are attributed to you, that's like cognitive dissonance for them. Because the story that they tell themselves is not this, it's actually quite negative, right? And it's almost like you you see what you want to see and you believe what you see. And that's which the story that you have told yourself, right? That That's why it's also interconnected. Um, and it's actually quite sad, actually, when, when I see it, because I start understanding the impact of this, right? The lack of deservedness, the lack of chasing those opportunities, the lack of dreaming bigger, the, the, the little box that my students sometimes put themselves in and they are yet magnificent and amazing and hardworking and all those things. They deserve so much more than that little tiny place that they've, they've put themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of emotionality with this as, as I teach, because I so want to be like, can't you see what I see? Right. Dream bigger. You were so deserving of this, but that's a process. And it, it's, it's a long sometimes process for people. It's a hard process for people, but it's so worth it because you have to live your life from that place. It reminds me of an exercise I, I talk to people a lot about doing and I tell them to like just on the note app on their phone or I don't know, a little post-it note. Every day I want you to write down a little like dash or you know whatever works for you when you have a thought about money. And then next to it, I want you to write a plus or a minus, whether it's a positive thought or it's a oh, negative okay. thought. And then come back at the end of the day and just look at it for for information purposes. Right. And it's really eye-opening because of course most of us have many more negatives than we have positives. So, you know, thinking about the story you're sharing and you know, how important this information is of learning about yourself and learning how many times you count yourself mm -hmm. out or you count something out just from those stories. I mean, it's, you know, we could do a whole episode on that <laughs> because I mean, that's, that's ingrained like right way Absolutely. back from like our very first breath. And it's, it's tough work to, to figure out how you, how you counteract that. Absolutely. And, and it, it is your early experience. It's your life experience. It's unfortunately leave those scars, right? And, and you can't get past them. And if you don't do that work, then you'll be forever limited, unfortunately. And, and that's why I always think, again, this work is so much harder than actually taking a class and just focusing on tactics and strategy. Like you can do that all day long. Hey, this is the really hard work, but it's the one that will ultimately pay itself off in perpetuity. And I want to dive a little bit into your story. I know that you've shared with me that you've done quite a lot of work over the last couple of years of your own money mindset. And, you know, you had a, t a tough period where you, you lost a lot and you kind of had to like claw yourself back to this, this place of, of having a sense of fearlessness. And I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody listening could, could relate to your story. You know, tell us a little bit about of your journey and maybe some of the lessons that you've learned, you know, through this experience. Yeah, I think you and I are both serial entrepreneurs, right? And and with that comes great risk in a lot of ways, right? Um, that's why a lot of businesses fail. That's why a lot of people don't choose that path um, because that sort of safety net is ne not necessarily there. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it for hopes and dreams and whatever that promise is to ourselves. And I became a small business owner. I started my company very early on. I was, I was quite young. This is now 1997. Um, and I started it with money. I started with, uh, with a large grant that I had gotten. So I was like, Hey, this is kind of easy, right? Because I'm <laughs> here's money and I can do what I'm supposed to do for them. And then the year 2000 came and then Silicon Valley went bust and then yada, 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 right. All, all of those, all of those things. And that was the first 
like, hey, this isn't so easy after all. And so I started feeling that anxiety of, you know, having to be much more careful and not that I wasn't careful running the business, but, but it all meant more, right? The money meant more because now I had to not just take care of myself, but the security of my employees, the keeping the roof of, above your head, uh, keeping the lights on, right? And failure was not an option. Unfortunately, we went through these periods over and over again through the course of that, those 10 years plus. And I don't want to get too much into this, but it ended up being that we took on so much debt at a business partner and the two of us didn't necessarily have sort of, we're not aligned, which is part of the problem also in the way we, we handled the money side of things um, and sense of responsibility around it. And, and not that he was irresponsible, just sort of the way we saw debt the way we saw the relief of debt, the way, you know, all of those things and, and how we prioritize those things. And when I realized that it was just that, that was exhausting me. I, I was not joyful anymore because I was so concerned with how we were going to cover certain costs, where we were going to, you know, and it became all about the money, right? So I, and, and the, the misalignment of values. So I decided to step away from the business and dissolve it. And to do that, in that negotiations, I decided I, I was just going to do it cleanly and just take on all of that debt. Not to mention that I had personally guaranteed a lot of things. So little other, other lesson for people, right? Um, I was young and, and, and just naive in that way. I, it was my, I felt like it was my responsibility. And it was a huge hit, right? It drained me of my 401k. It drained me of my savings account. It literally again, ground zero, right? And it, it took me to that place. And nobody had supported me in terms of my family. It wasn't somebody who's like, oh, honey, it's okay. We'll pay for everything. Or here's the trust fund. Or, you know, I'll just give you money to cover it. There wasn't that. And because they didn't believe in my dream to begin with, again, failure could not be an option. So I took on those loans. I took right. on that debt. And as you said, I did crawl myself back to a place of where I am today, which is a place where, first of all, I will never let myself be so drained of money in that way that I don't know about the next paycheck. I don't, which is what a lot of Americans struggle with these days, right? That you're just, as they say, one paycheck away. I will never allow myself to get there again. And so that gave me this understanding of what sort of minimally, and nobody wants to talk minimally, but what I need to sustain myself, should I go through those sort of the, the economic downfalls that we experienced during those 10 years, right? So that came first. I was like, this, this, my friend, is the first commitment you have to make. The next is figuring out how to get rid of that huge debt because it's backbreaking. But what I also realized is that this is a choice you made. You should be proud of yourself not feel a sense of shame that you actually said, I'll take this on. I will do this because I want to follow my values and I want to find my joy in this, right? In life. And so feel that sense of pride because then that made me not feel ashamed, but it gave me almost more tenacity, if you will. It gave me more drive and it let me breathe a little bit more, right? It said, you know, you can do this. And at first it's hard to believe because you have to do it. And now over the years that I've gone back to a place where I've sort of not only rebuilt that, but built far more than that. And the beauty of it now is that that sense of pride is well-earned, um, that I don't have that sense of shame around this issue. And instead my relationship with money has become such that I don't really think about it very much because I have a sense of peace around it because I'm not a paycheck away because I'm, because even if something terrible happened and all went, went away, first of all, I have a safety net, but second, I can rebuild again because I've done it once and I can do this again. And there's confidence, there's peacefulness, there's a bit of that fearful fearlessness, not in the sense that, you know, I'm just crazy with money, but, but it, the anxiety doesn't overcome me. And I find that I make wiser decisions. And because I don't have that sense of shame and, and sort of guilt, it makes me value myself more. So I ask for the bigger contracts. I ask for more money, right? Because all of these things are so tied together 
But boy, when all that is happening, um, if it doesn't feel like you honestly, you just can't breathe and it's backbreaking and, and tiresome. And I never want to be exhausted like that again. Right. So we need the bad experiences. I talk a lot about it in my book because I think a lot of us deal with this challenge. Um, you have to make a decision, but you can do it. I assure people I didn't have anything more than anybody else. I just had my own intelligence and drive and all that I had worked for. I wasn't like some superhero that came in and said, now I can, you know, I wish that this all goes away and it all went away. It's, it's, I pulled myself up and I feel like anybody and everybody should understand that because a life of fear, especially around money issues is not a life well lived at all. Well, thank you for, for sharing your story. I feel like, you know, we can all connect to the human element again in, in our stories and the things that have happened to us. And I think we can see even through your story, how negotiation plays a role, like you were saying, and how it sort of set you up in the future to maybe be a better negotiator, to value yourself more. Um, I feel like we could, we could talk about this subject Uh like forever, right? (laughs) But I really, I wouldn't want to leave everyone with something, some words, uh, something of empowerment that you want us to remember about, you know, as we go forward and we explore this world of negotiation now with our eyes kind of wide open in all of these different areas of our life, you know, wh- what's something that you just really want us to take with us? Um, first of all, know that if you don't ask, if you don't show up in the first place, that you're going to regret that, right? And those kind, those kind of regrets are going to stay with you a whole lot longer because you can't say, oh, I didn't do so well, better luck next time you have to be left imagining what could have been and should have been, right? And uh, particularly when it comes to salaries and things like that, this the long-term impact of that is is huge, right? Because it's sort of the 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 way this all builds over time. So it's not like you missed out the first time around and it's going to be okay in the future. It's likely to impact that tra- trajectory of your career. The other is, Everything can be negotiated, right? That, that you shouldn't be waiting for the moment because the, you, the moment is probably there and you're not allowing yourself to see it, right? You know, once the moment, the moment is when you're not happy and you want to have a conversation to, to find sort of a way to do what you're doing in a, in a better way, in a more joyful way. Or you are again looking for, you're bidding for a contract that you're well worthy of or th- whatever it is, right? You want more vacation time because your parents are are ill and you want to take care of them. When is that moment again? It's the moment that you create to have these conversations because you are allowed that you deserve to have those, right? So prepare better and all the rest of it, but don't let those moments pass you by because you're afraid. And the last thing is, and this is sort of tied together, remember that you do this all the time. Remember that you are experienced have confidence in those abilities, right? And don't count out your family as a, the conversations as a negotiations. No, there's, those are probably more difficult than the other ones, right? The, that you may have at work because there's emotionality involved in them. And understand that, that because of that experience, because of the way you speak to yourself, right? If it comes from a positive place, if it comes from a place of value, then you will quite naturally do well in negotiations because that's where it all started. The world will value you when you value yourself, right? And they were under they will honor your boundaries when you set those boundaries for yourself. So, you know, I just want people that it's all about you. It's not the outside world and what the world is willing to do for you or not do for you. It's how you live this life and how you step into it that really matters. My mind was honestly blown reading Maury's book because I started to think about all the ways I negotiate throughout the day without even noticing. Maybe really think about uh, my cute pup, Winnie. She's, I think, the best teacher of negotiation because she can't talk, but somehow she just distinctly will tell us what she wants with like a whine or a bark or she's got this signature stomp. So we do this dance of negotiation with her, you know, it's like, okay, we can go outside for five minutes, but not an hour. Or no, here are all the chews you can have right now. You can't have every single chew. Or sometimes we tell her, you just got to make another choice. You just got to do something differently. So the moral of the story, and I think what Maury really echoes is that negotiation doesn't have to be painful. 
but shying away from it is costing you money and getting in the way of you being you. So go out there, go out in the world today and just negotiate away without fear. You can find a copy of Maury's book, Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly, anywhere books are sold. And if you want to connect with Maury, you can go over to her website, which is just her name, and that is spelled M-O-R-I-T-A-H-E-R-I-P-O-U-R.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone because, hey, we all got to learn how to negotiate and why not do it fearlessly. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to my episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. All right, my friend, I will see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. 